Michael, if you want to um, leave your Bibles out, that'd be great, and leave your outlines there, it'll help you get through it. My name's uh, Rowan, one of the pastors here at Uni Church, and it is, I think, a great moment when we can hear from God. It's the highlight of the service, I think, each week, when we actually, you don't hear from the guy who speaks up the front, that's, that's when they kind of takes God's Word and messes it up sometimes. But uh, the highlight is hearing from God's Word. That's what we believe the Bible is. So why don't we pray together now that God would help us to understand this Word that He said to us uh, throughout history, through the Apostle Paul, and see the incredible significance it has for us. Why don't we pray? Father God, we want to thank You so much for the privilege it is to be able to hear from You. It amazes us that the God of the universe would speak and that You would speak so clearly through your people throughout history that we might know what you want for us. We don't have to guess, but we have you speaking clearly through this person, this Apostle Paul. And so we pray tonight that as we get to view the world over his shoulders in the way that you want us to, that we'd come away changed. Not just hearing something and letting it fall on deaf ears, but coming out and seeing what for Paul makes him tick. And what is the center of his universe? We pray that tonight your word by your spirit might capture us so we might see who Jesus is. Amen. There are things in life for which we'll do almost anything, aren't there? There are things in life that we'll we'll go through horrendous hours, do horrible things just to get a little piece of paper at the end that says, past, right? I keep saying to people, I think university is like jail, right? You just go for long enough, you spend enough time there, you do exactly what they tell you to do for your time in jail, they give you a piece of paper at the end and you can get a job and you're free, right? That's that's what uni sometimes is. Uh, There are things in life for which we'll do almost anything. I think of my mum, for example. My mum went through hours of excruciating pain, months of sleeplessness, She had to put up with me, whinging and moaning and complaining. For 20 years, I lived under their roof, right? She went through really whatever it took. I'm not really sure it was worth it, but she went through it because she loved me, because she wanted to see me thrive. And I take it that your mom and your dad and your family have done the same things. There are things in life that are so important to us, so valuable, that we're often prepared to do whatever it takes to get them, whatever it takes What we've seen on the pages of this letter to the Corinthians from this man, Paul, is someone who has seen something so valuable, he's willing to do whatever it takes. He's willing to give up the three golden triangle things, food, sex, and money, right? They're things that we love, right? Sex, he's willing to give it up. Money, he doesn't really matter, he doesn't really care about it, and his freedom with food. And he's willing to give these things up to do whatever it takes even though he doesn't have to. Even though he doesn't have to. See, these things that Paul gives up in his whatever-it-takes lifestyle, they're not wrong or forbidden. There's nothing wrong with them in and of themselves. In fact, they are his rights. And what we're going to see is why Paul is doing this. But before we get there, we need to understand why these things are rights for him. And then we'll understand even more the freedom that we have and that he has in giving them up and then think through why he would give them up in the first place. That's kind of where we're going. So number one, have a look with me. Paul has real rights. For verse 4 of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, he says this, Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a Christian wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or do Barnabas and I alone have no right to refrain from working? Paul here says, as an apostle, as a sent one of God, he has the right to all food. He has the right to to have a wife. There's nothing wrong with that. To to be paid as a preacher. I'm going to see these explained a little more as we go through. The first one, food, we saw last week. Food doesn't make us more spiritual. You can eat some food that's been sacrificed to an idol. It doesn't matter. It goes in one end and out the other. The only way food makes us more spiritual, the only way food can bring us closer to God is if we starve ourselves for a number of weeks, right? Then you'll meet God. Don't eat, that's what happens. Food does not make you more spiritual. But what we saw last week was Paul was saying that we have this knowledge that says food does nothing. But for some people, it actually is a stumbling block. 
And so our knowledge that says it does nothing, we want to hold back on and not just go and eat and drink whatever we can because we don't want to cause others to stumble. So knowledge must be mixed with love. We must love people out of our knowledge. If you want to know more about that, have a look on our, on our website and see last week's sermon and, and see what God has to say there. The second area that we see is marriage. We've seen in the weeks previous to this that marriage is perfectly fine. God invented marriage. God invented sex and it's good and it's made for marriage. There's no problem with marriage. And similarly, there's no problem with singleness. We're, we're humans. We can be single. We can be married. It doesn't matter either way. Now, when you stand back and have a look throughout Scripture, you see that um, the apostles, most of them, were married. Uh, specifically, Peter here, he has a wife. Now, we don't actually hear anywhere in the Bible of Peter's wife directly. Uh, but we do hear Jesus in Matthew 8. Check it out later. Write it down. Make sure I'm telling you what the Bible actually says. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Now, I take it that the only reason that I can think of in the world that you would have a mother-in-law is if you get the wife as well, right? Like, who's going to go, yeah, I'll just take the mother-in-law, not the wife. So I take it, Peter is married. Right? And so, as you keep reading through the rest of the Bible, it seems that it's a normal expectation of those in Christian ministry, um, those pastors, bishops, elders, leaders of the church, whatever they are, whatever direction they move on a chessboard, come tomorrow night, here, find out more. But it seems that those who are in leadership of the church, they're fine to have a wife. In fact, it's quite odd when you think that some churches have this kind of structure where they say that the, the, the pastor or the priest or the minister, they can't be married. You're like, why is that? When Peter himself was married, he's got a mother-in-law. And they kind of often base the whole thing on Peter being the head of the church. Now, when you have the Bible as the ultimate authority, you keep coming back to what has actually been said throughout history. Uh, you see that it's fine for a Christian pastor, uh, an apostle, to have a wife. They have a right to do so. And the other area we see they have a right is in getting paid for their work. Getting paid for their work, financial support. Now, it feels a bit odd for me to be standing up here. I, I get paid by the church. But really, it feels odd for me to be telling you why that's an important thing. But I want to preach God's Word. It's not what Rowan thinks. It's what God has said to us through the Bible. So let's have a look what he says here and think through why uh, the staff team here at Uni Church should actually get paid. Should they? Because not every church throughout history, nor, nor today that's around, pays their pastors. Some people, they've tried to run churches without paying their pastors, trying to get by on, on, on not, not paying them, but them working in all sorts of secular jobs and doing ministry on the side as they go through. Other churches throughout history and today, really, the pastors have tried to be paid too much. They've tried to get as much as they can to get as much money from others so they can fly private jets or eat more than everyone around them or all sorts of different kind of atrocities. You see the way people misuse what God's Word says. There's all sorts of areas on the spectrum of how people have paid pastors and those doing Christian ministry. But we've got the right to ask at this point, why should we pay our pastors? I mean, should we even? Paul here outlines three lines of argument why those who preach and teach have the right to be paid for it. And it's really important to understand this because in a minute, you're going to see how important it is because he gives these up. Let's have a look. There's three general areas. One, from general wisdom. Two, we're going to see it from the Old Testament law. And then three, from Jesus' lips himself. Three reasons why those who preach and teach the Word of God should be paid, have a right to be paid for what they're doing. So let's look through them. The first one is from general wisdom. Have a look at verse 7. Whoever goes to war at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Paul, he's kind of got 18 questions in this, this chapter. He's kind of question after question after question. I don't know. He's moved into question time and he's writing this letter. But here he says, no soldier goes to war at their own expense. No one goes, all right, now I've just got to pull out my um, $21 billion for a fighter jet before I fly it. Right? It doesn't happen. No one's like, I've just got to build my tank. I mean, imagine you're at war. You're in the trenches there. You're trying to battle someone else. And you're like, it's 12 o'clock. It's lunchtime. Time out, everyone. I've just got to go and make my lunch. I don't just need to go and like, um, plow my field so I can get some food. It's crazy. Who does that? No one does that. It's provided by the people whom they're protecting, who they're defending, who they're working for. This is common sense. You move along to the farmer then. 
He's got a vineyard. He's not going to be like working all day, making sure that the kind of grapes grow well in the vineyard. Then be going, man, I'm so hungry. I just feel like some grapes, but I don't know where to get any. It's like, you've got a vineyard. It's fine. You, you own all the grapes are yours. You can be there as you're seeing the grapes grow. Eat grapes. It's not a problem. The third one is this shepherd. Now, I just think this is odd. As you read this bit, anyway, let's just read it and see. If you're a shepherd, you get to drink the sheep's milk. Now, I don't know. Has anyone here ever drunk sheep's milk? Can I just have... Yeah, maybe... Well, you can tell me later. That's not, it just seems weird to me. Like, hey, sheep, can I have some of your milk? Like, I don't know. It just feels odd. But that's what we do if you're a, kind of a dairy farmer, I guess. The whole point is, if you're looking after the sheep, you, you should get to benefit from what the sheeps give. Uh, the sheeps. Look at that. Bad English. What the sheep give. There we go. Um, and, and it's just common wisdom. What it's basically saying is, if you're going to, it's fine to benefit from the labor that you do. But that isn't where it stops. Paul says this is exactly what the Old Testament said as well. So have a look at verse 8, chapter 9. Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it's written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is God really concerned with oxen? Or isn't He really saying it for us? Yes, it's written for us. The picture here is of an ox, right? Big kind of gross, bulbous thing and kind of walks along the, the kind of plowing the fields where there's grain around. And the idea is that when the ox is doing its work for you, making for the farmer, making the field go well and plowing the ground, don't put a muzzle on it so it can't eat as it's going along. Let the ox eat. It's helping you out. Now, Paul says, is that really about an ox? Is God going, well, I care so much about the welfare of oxen. You know, is there Jews for oxen? And that was God was kind of setting up this little group of people. Now he's saying it's written so that we might understand if God cares like that for oxen, we need to care like that for those who are freed up to serve us. And particularly, he talks about those who are in the, in the temple and those who are offering the sacrifices, the Levites, and how they were freed to be able to serve the people, although they didn't have an inheritance of their own, that they were able to eat the sacrifices that came in. And so this whole sense here is that it's fine and it's good for those who preach and teach the Word of God to be able to be paid for the work that they're doing. It's common sense. The Old Testament says it. And the third one is that Jesus himself says it. Look at verse um, 14 of chapter 9. In the same way, the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. That's pretty clear, right? We don't really have those exact words recorded anywhere. The closest we get is what um, Luke writes down, Jesus said, when he's sending out um, the two across the, uh, uh, Israel to preach the kingdom of God. It says this, Luke chapter 10, verse 7, Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Maybe that's what Paul's referring to. Maybe it's something else that Jesus had said to Paul. But what he's saying here is that those who preach and teach the Word of God are actually do have a right to be paid for doing that. So I thought I'd just pause for a second and talk through how do pastors here at Uni Church get paid? Well, we have an exec committee. The exec committee, they kind of represent all the members of church and they think through the finance and property of our church. Now, they look after our budget and make sure that works. So they're the ones who set the wages uh, for the staff. Um, now, in that, I've got a seat on the exec, but in any decision that's got to do with money um, to, that I'm getting money for, I'll absent myself from the decision and not be in the room. So when they originally worked out uh, how much pastors should get paid, I wasn't in the room. I left the room. Uh, recently, they worked out uh, when that should go up or not and how that should work. Um, uh, Dave Giesers was still on staff with us then, and so he and I waited outside in the cold for like 20 minutes while they were kind of working through that stuff. We should have just gone in the other room, but anyway. Uh, because we want to make sure that we are not going, oh, this is what you should pay us. We want those who have been entrusted with the role of representing the church to work through that themselves. And so uh, the way that we uh, work out our pays here is we... we we link them to the average earning of a New Zealand male in full-time employment. And basically, we pay about 87.5% uh, is the kind of max in, in, that, in that area, where we, we free up 87.5% of the average weekly earning of a New Zealand male in full-time employment. That works out to be around $57,000. It's uh, how much a pastor gets paid, and then we also provide a pastor with a house, a place where they can do ministry from. We don't buy it for them, uh, but we have a house where they're able to be free to do the work of preaching the Word of God. 
Now, the reason we separate those two is because, say, we do a church plant to Invercargill, right? And not only is it cold in Invercargill, but the house prices are, like, much, much lower. And so you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to kind of pay someone the same amount to live in the centre of Auckland as you would to live in Invercargill. So, but the cost of living is about the same. So we pay one cost of living, and then housing, that's what changes. That's why we've set that up that way. It's fixed towards that, that figure. It gets produced by New Zealand Statistics. It's not set by us as a church. We just continue to go through on that way. Um, so that's what we do. That's how we set uh, the wages of the staff team, and they differ then with experience um, and with the time that they've been in church. But another key principle that we've got in church is that the ox doesn't get to eat in other fields. All right? The ox, which is the pastors of the church, right? Just in case you're wondering, we're the ugly brutes that kind of serve the people who are in the congregation. The ox, we don't get to go and eat in other people's fields. We're freed up. We don't need any more money. We should be satisfied with what we have. So we're freed up to serve the church that we're a part of. So if we go and preach somewhere else, or if we're involved with some other conference, or we do a wedding and someone gives us money, all that money goes back to church, not to us. Because we're freed up by the church to do the work of the gospel. Uh, we don't eat in others' fields at all. If I, if I want you to be content with your salary, I need to be content with mine as I lead church. And we're pay, paid a, a good wage. We're able to freely serve and eat and live. <laughs> and I also want to take a moment to say... Thanks for those who are partnering in the gospel to free us up for this privilege to serve you. It is such a privilege to be able to be freed up to not having to work in terms of a secular work, but to be freed up to keep teaching people and training people with the news of the gospel. It is such a privilege. So it's a partnership that we share together. And I love giving to church for the same reason, to see us and others freed up for gospel ministry. So well done. Keep going. It's great to see the news of, gospel continu- of the gospel continuing to go out. But some churches, they, they kind of run in a way where they're not freed up for full-time ministry. It's important to point this out because I want to show you something that Paul says a little later, which helps us to work this out a little more. Uh, one church I know of, they don't pay any of their staff full-time at all. In fact, they have no staff. They've got five people who genuinely preach in the church, and, and those people have got full-time jobs, and they do their preaching, they share the load and, and the pastoring of the people in the church. They do that um, shared amongst the five of them. I think that's a fine way to do it. We're free to do that. But here's the thing. If you took each of those five people, they've got the skills and abilities and gifts to be able to run a whole church themselves. If they were freed up from having to do secular work, they could run five churches, not just one. And so there's a strategic advantage to being freed up from work so that you can teach and and spend the time in the Word to understand what God is saying to us and spend time with people to train and equip them that you wouldn't necessarily have Or we can have more churches, because there's more of us freed up to do ministry. So Paul, in his whatever-it-takes lifestyle, comes along and says, these are the rights that I have. The rights to eat whatever I want, to take a Christian wife, to be paid for the sake of preaching and teaching the gospel. He takes those rights and says this, I would literally rather die than to to take the use of these rights. I'd literally rather die than actually take up these rights. Why would he say that? You kind of come along and go, you've just explained for the last kind of 14 verses that these are rights and that you don't need to give them up, but why would you come along and give them up? What's going on here? Well, have a look with me at verse 15. Chapter 9, verse 15. I've used none of these rights, and I've not written this to make it happen for me. For it would be better for me to die than to deprive anyone of my boast. What's with that? Does this guy just hate food and marriage and uh, money? So much that he'd rather die than have food and marriage and money? Like, is marriage that bad? Is he kind of going, man, I'll stay away from that? No, it's not. It was a joke. You can laugh later. He's showing us what real freedom is. What real freedom freedom is. See, as humans, we, we pride ourselves on being free, on being individuals, being able to do my hair any way I like, and no one else being able to say anything about it, because I can, because I'm free. It's part of who I am, or to wear what I want, or to choose what career path I can. We love being free. But Paul shows us that real freedom is more than just indulging in whatever I want whenever I want it. Real freedom is the ability to abstain from something that is a right as well. It's being able to say, I don't have to take that right. 
The person who always takes the rights that they have isn't really free. They're kind of bound to keep taking the rights. I've got to do it because it's my right. It's my right. Paul says there's a greater freedom to have when you're actually able to say, it's my right, but I don't need it. He's showing us what real freedom is. Now, Paul is very different to you and me in so many ways. Uh, one, he's dead. Uh, two, is that he was an apostle. Now, we're not apostles. I'm not an apostle. You're not an apostle. He, he was someone who was set apart by God. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul tells us he's an apostle. Um, by the will of God... Uh, to serve Jesus, God has set him up as an apostle. Now, apostle, it just means sent one. But he has been sent by God to do the task of proclaiming the news of Jesus. And that means he has an obligation to God. Unlike me, unlike any other pastor in any church on the face of the planet today, Paul must preach the news of the gospel. He's an apostle. He has no other option. It's his obligation See, Lachlan and myself and all other pastors, we don't have to preach the gospel. God hasn't said, Rowan, you must preach the gospel. He hasn't called me to say, you must be a pastor. I'm free. I'm free to stop. Uh, it's, it's a privilege to be able to serve, but it's not an obligation. The same for you. You are not obligated to be a preacher and teacher of the Word of God, although I want to encourage you. Jesus says, uh, the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. Have a think through that. Do I have skills and abilities that could be freed up to see more people come to know Jesus? But here's the thing, you don't have to. But Paul did, because he was an apostle. But Paul then, knowing that he had to preach the gospel, didn't want others to think that the only reason he was preaching it was because he had to. He wanted people to see him and go, no, he really wants to. He's really excited about something here. It's not like, oh, I've got to preach the gospel because it's some obligation. God spoke to me and now I've got to do it and I hate it. He's like, no, this is, this is an amazing privilege. But how do I show that to people around? He wanted to ensure that people saw it as a service and not an obligation. And so he gave up his right to be paid. Look at verse 16. For if I preach the gospel... I've got no reason to boast because an obligation is placed on me. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do it willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I'm entrusted with a stewardship. So he's saying, if I, if I actually choose willingly to preach the gospel, then I get a reward. There's, there's a great reward in doing that. But if, if I just do it because I've been entrusted as an apostle, well, well, it's just good stewardship. I've just got to deal with what God's given me anyway. What is my reward? Verse 18. My reward is to preach the gospel and offer it free of charge, not to make use of my authority in the gospel. And why would he do that? Why would he do that? Paul willingly denies his rights to be paid as a gospel teacher and preacher. In fact, he says he'd rather die than stand on his rights right here. Why would he do that? What is so important that others see him doing it freely, that he's willing to give those things up? And we've got to ask the honest question, is that something that pastors and preachers should do today? Sorry, Vanessa and Lachlan, you know, our, 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 our wages are on the line here about what we work out, God's Word is actually saying. To answer that, we need to see what his motivation was. Because we're going to see that Paul has got some far more reaching implications than pastors pay. He's going to show there is something at the heart of why he's doing whatever it takes that applies to us all. See, Paul's motivation for denying his rights is so that others might more clearly see the magnificence of Jesus. He denies his rights so people can say, you're doing this not because you have an obligation, not because you're getting money, not because of any other thing. You're doing it freely, even when you don't have to, because you're amazed at Jesus. Because there's something about Jesus that makes you go, yes, I want the world to know him. Look at verse 19. Although I am a free man and not anyone's slave, I've made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. Verse 22, I've become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. He's willing 
to enslave himself to others. Now, in this world where we had slaves and free people, there were these two classes of people. Paul's saying, I'm a free person, but I'm happy to enslave myself to serve you so that more people might recognize who Jesus is. This is absurd. Why would he do this? Paul's motivation to do whatever it takes is to see more people, as many people as possible, trust in Jesus. See, if people saw that Paul was preaching the gospel and could attribute it to him getting a you know, bigger car, bigger donkey, I don't know what he had, I'm going them. Uh, look at him, he's getting a bigger donkey. That's what he wants. He wants a donkey with wings. I don't know. And then people stand back and go, of course you're doing this. Or people could stand back and go, look, you're doing this because you must, because you're an apostle, because God has this spiritual call in your life, and it's just a you thing. God has spoken to you in a way that you're set apart, and you should do it. And of course, He has to do it. But if it was free, if He could do it showing that there are no stumbling blocks for people coming to know Jesus, if He could do it in a way that people would think, you know what, He's not preaching the gospel because He's getting anything out of it. He's preaching the gospel because He's amazed at who Jesus is. He's been so captured by what this man has done, that he actually thinks Jesus is God. (laughs) Imagine that. Seems here there's a pretty consistent pattern in the way Paul acts throughout the New Testament. Every time he comes to a new place, and there's people there who do not yet know Jesus, he preaches the gospel for free. He never charges. He never says, look, you should pay money. He never talks about that. He just says, have you seen Jesus? Look at him. He is amazing. Each time he does it, he doesn't ask for material support from the people who benefited from his ministry, even though he had the right to. Remember the soldier, remember the farmer, remember the ox, remember Jesus' words. He had the right to. In fact, in in the letter to the Thessalonians, he makes a point of saying that I didn't charge you a cent. I didn't charge you anything when I came to preach the gospel to you. But what is interesting is that Paul did take support from the Christians at Philippi. In other words, he didn't always preach it for free. In fact, the, the ones at Philippi who were already Christians supported him. And it was the Philippian Christians that supported him while he was in Thessalonica. While he's writing that letter to the Thessalonians saying, I didn't come and charge you anything here. It was the Philippian Christians who were actually supporting him financially. Have a look at Philippians 4, just to show you this. Philippians 4.15. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. See? Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. So Paul didn't always go without financial support. There's a more complex kind of principle behind this. What we do see from this passage in Philippians is the great joy of partnering with Paul in the gospel. Paul says if, if, to these Philippians, if you partnered financially with me as I shared the news with the Thessalonians, any reward that I get actually goes to you. Oh, what I think that reward is, is seeing the Thessalonians in heaven forever with them. They get to share. But do you see verse 17? I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. I used to think, man, Christians that are generous and give lots of money away, man, they're awesome, so selfless, giving up the things of this world to see money given to others, so generous. This verse is saying, no, it's just the best investment you can do. Giving up money so that people might come to know Jesus, giving up time and resources so that people might know Him forever, that's the best way to invest your money. They're just smart investors. They're putting it where it will last forever. It seems here, Paul's motivation is that he doesn't get paid for gospel work so that people are crystal clear that the gospel is free. That people who hear the news of Jesus don't for one second think he's doing it for the money. So as he goes to new places, as he shares the gospel with people for the first time as they hear it, he's like, this is free. That's exactly why we at Unichurch don't pass a plate round to collect money from people. Because we want you to come along and go, Jesus doesn't want your money. Jesus doesn't need your money. He he owns everything in the universe. Not even a sparrow falls to the ground outside the will of my Father, says Jesus. And all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. If he wants money, he can get it. He's in control of everything. The stock market can crash. He he doesn't need money. He's not like going, oh man, 
We need to get more Christians, people to become Christians so we've got more money on earth. <laughs> He's in control of it all. And so why we don't pass a plate around is because we want people to see the Jesus that captivated Paul, the Jesus of history, that he's God, that he sustains the universe. We want you to come and hear the news about him and not for one second think we're about it for the money. We're not. <laughs> Jesus doesn't need your money. When we started Auckland EV, um, probably about eight people that were Christians amongst us in the very first kind of small core team when we started. And those people had committed to saying, yeah, we want to support this gospel ministry. But there's no way eight people could kind of fund a church plant. Church plant costs about $120,000 a year to start. Uh, generally, it's, that's about the, the budget of a, a starting church plant. But what happened was Christians from all over New Zealand and people who'd known us in Australia went, we're so keen to see more people come to know Jesus, to recognize who he is, that we'll actually just give you money. We'll actually pledge to give you the rest of the money you need to make up that $120,000. In fact, we'll do it over three years so that you can see people come to know Jesus, you can see them trust Him, and that money is just not an issue. So Auckland EV was started in the same kind of way that Paul started churches across ancient Near East. His motivation was that as many people as possible could be saved. Now, I can assure you that if our staff team currently had to work to earn a living, if I had to go back to IT and work in an IT company, and um, Vanessa had to kind of go back and, and work for the Department of Immigration, and Lachlan was kind of working in bookstores and doing that, if we all had to go back and do those things, less people would be saved. Because we're not freed up to be able to teach the Word and train and equip people so the Gospel can go out. If Paul's motivation is to think through how might this news of Jesus reach as many as possible, by as many means as possible, then there's more than just saying, oh, I shouldn't be paid for the gospel. There's an idea of going, how do we strategically and intentionally order what we do, structure what we do as a church so that people might hear the news of Jesus, so they might hear it in a way that is just about Him, not about money or about others finding some great reward, but by seeing Him for who He is. It wasn't just the issue of money that Paul gave up his rights on, remember. Even though he was free to eat any meat he wanted, every time he ate with Jews, he was as kosher as you can get. He just ate clean food with them. He didn't kind of cross the lines because he didn't want to cause a stumbling block. In fact, when he did his missionary journey with Timothy throughout all the Jews, right? he said, Timothy, who wasn't a Jew, dude, you need to get circumcised. At 24 years of age, you need to get circumcised so the Jews, when you preach to them, they think, oh, this guy isn't some weirdo, he's someone who's actually part of the kind of Jewish background. Not because you must, but because it will help them to hear the gospel more. Now, that's commitment, right? Like, that's a lot. You're going to cut off a lot there, and that's, that's bad. I've got no idea how the Jews knew he was circumcised. I don't know, like, it's not something that's kind of public, but as he's preaching, whatever he, Paul says... It's important for you to be as a Jew on this missionary journey. You know, I can imagine myself at that point. What would I say? Well, that's a big cost. You know, it's going to hurt a lot. And they're not even going to see anything anyway. How do they know? Can't we just say he's as Jewish as can be? Whatever it takes. He's free. And so Timothy does it. Whatever it takes so others aren't distracted by anything else and Jesus is seen for who he really is. And if you think about it, that's exactly what Jesus did, isn't it? The one who was equal with God, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant, became man. He forfeited all his God-given rights that he had for all eternity. He became human to win humans. He suffered to win those who suffer. He died to win those who deserve to die. This is the example of our King, our Saviour. Paul, like Jesus, did whatever it took, but he never compromised the truth. He never said, look, I'm just going to be pragmatic about this. Let's just get as many people to trust Jesus as we can. And let's just give out $50 notes. Trust Jesus, give you 50 bucks. You know, it's an easy way to get people in. He said, no, no, no. They've got to know the truth about who he is, that we actually do deserve death and then judgment and hell because we've rejected God. We must hold to the truth. But within the bounds of what the truth says, we want to do anything we can, give up whatever rights we have, so that people might see Jesus for who He really is. 
Now, be very clear, friends, this is not a license for mere pragmatic ministry. We don't just go, sweet, whatever it takes, I'll just do whatever. I'll change the gospel, I'll make it easier. We must hold to the truth within the bounds of Scripture. Never bend the truth, but be happy to give up your rights. And it got me thinking about what I give up my rights for, what we might potentially give up our rights for. We indebt ourselves to the bank for so many things. For personal gain, for a car, for security, for a house, for the future. Paul says, yeah, you can do that. That's cool. You're free. But I'm going to indebt myself to others for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to give up my rights for others' eternal security, not for mine, freely, willingly, so that more might be saved. The last church I was a pastor at was um, a large multicultural church. The kind of people from 60 different nationalities across the church congregation. Uh, people from all different backgrounds and cultures. And there, there are a few, a lot of people there actually, from the kind of Mediterranean cultures, from Malta and those sort of areas like that. And I'll always remember uh, a guy by the name of Sarkis. Sarkis is a great godly Christian man. Uh, he's one of the kind of on the equivalent of the, the executive in that church. Um, but Sarkis is one of those guys that would kiss you on both cheeks when you got to church. Just how they, how they work, it's what he's like, right? And I remember him coming up to me after one sermon that I preached. He said, brother, I love your ministry. I love the word that you, you have to say to us. I love the way you explain the word. But you just need to know something. He said, when you wear a shirt that's not tucked in and jeans with a tiny little bit of a rip in them, Everyone from the Mediterranean doesn't hear a word you say. Because for our culture, you actually, it's a stumbling block. We're just going, that guy can't be my pastor. He's wearing jeans and an untucked shirt. We expect someone like that to be wearing slacks and kind of a shirt that's, that's tucked in and not have, have rip in your jeans. And he's saying, I've got, I know there's nothing wrong with that. I know you're free to do that. But that's what would really help my brothers and sisters from my background to hear the message of the gospel. Now, my immediate reaction when I hear that is, I'm free to do whatever I want. I can wear my ripped jeans. You know, there's a, what's, what are you saying? What's wrong with my knee? Like, you hate looking at my knee? Like, I'm free. You can't say this. Are you putting some you know, law on top of me that I must keep? I'm free to wear what I want. You know, I can make my hair look like Michael Jackson if I want to. And that's great. You know, we're free. But if I actually care about people hearing the news of Jesus, from that week on, I never wore my shirt untucked again. He was right. I needed to love my brothers and sisters from a different culture. Now, the thing is, you can't make a rule like that and make it a law everywhere because it's different for different people. In fact, Paul says, to the Jews, I act one way. To the Greeks, I act another. To the weak, I act another way. There's a kind of cultural application about how we take barriers out of the way. It's not just as simple to say, always wear your, tur- your shirt tucked in and no, no kind of rips in your jeans. Uh, there might be cultures, kind of subgroups, where if you wear a kind of slack pants and a nice kind of pressed shirt, that it'd be like, get out, you idiot. Who are you? Who do you think you are wearing that iron shirt around here? That might be the case. Paul says, whatever it takes to get the gospel across, what rights will you give up? What freedoms will you say, you know what? I'm free to give this up to see others one to Christ. Given the skills God's given you and the resources that you have, how can you use them so that others might not stumble over them, that others won't go, yeah, you're living like a normal person who's living for their bank account, for their comfort, to have a happy life, to have a happy family. How can you give up those freedoms to say, actually, no, I'm not living for that? So often, um, we kind of get asked from people, oh, what made you move to New Zealand? Uh, And part of me wants to answer, it's just better here, because it is. Like, I like Auckland more than I like Sydney. Now, that was a blessing. I wasn't expecting that. You know, I kind of, one of my biggest fears, (laughs) awkward, you're going to all hate me after I say this. I'll tell you anyway. One of my biggest fears was my kids having a Kiwi accent. (laughs) For the sake of the gospel, whatever it takes. (laughs) And we love living here. And my temptation is to say to people, well, it's a great place, you know. And, and people go, do you have family here? We're like, no, we don't. Uh, and they're like, why did you come? And at that point, I want to say, well, we came here because uh, we're convinced that Jesus is God. We want to see a, a church start up where people were telling the world around them about Jesus. 
And so we moved here away from our family so that people could hear that truth and more people could get access to the truth of the gospel. And that's really important to us. Now, at that point, people go, oh. <laughs> but they don't go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's like, a, it's like a glitch in the system for them. Why would you do that? What will you do? What rights will you give up so that others might see who Jesus is? Now, Paul, when he does this, it's not like, whoa, this is such a hassle for me. He's not like, oh, I hate having to not get paid. I really wish I had a wife. And man, you know, that meat sacrifice to those idols over there that's been marinated for three weeks looks awesome and I want to eat it. And this is killing me. Paul says, I would rather die than take up those rights. I care so much that people see that the reason that I'm doing this is for the sake of the gospel and that people see Jesus for who he is, that I would rather die than let those things get in the way. See how joyfully he does it? How much he's just captured by Jesus. What stumbling blocks could you remove for others to see the hope of Jesus? What rights could you give up? What way could you live your life so others can say, why on earth would you do that? Now, don't just do it to be weird. Don't just walk around and go, yeah, you know, I'm going to wear my underpants on the outside. Why? Because I'm a Christian. No, you're an idiot. Like, don't do that unless you're Superman and you're not. Um, No, but the things that we can give up so that others might see we are living for someone else. Not grumbling about it, not complaining about the time we give or the money that it costs us, but the joy it is to partner with God. Let me just run through a few areas for you briefly. How could you give up your right to finances so others might see the gospel? How might you use the money that God's entrusted you so that people can see you're living for something else other than your comfort and security? What about the way you use your time? How much time you put into your job or your study? Even your family, I know. It might be a way that you can act around your family. They actually, they see that you love them even more now you're a Christian. But that Jesus is the center of your life and that you long so much more in the way you live that they come to see who Jesus is. And so you stop worshiping the family ancestors. You change from the way that you were and you say, look, I'd love you to see Jesus, but I love you anyway. What about giving up our precious time off? To invite someone to explaining Christianity, to sit with them and actually go, this is tiring. Yeah, but man, whatever it takes, right? Career progression. I know people that have um, taken uh, promotions so they'll have more time to be able to use their time uh, because the promotion has given them uh, actually more time in, in their field to be able to do gospel ministry. And I've known people that have turned down promotions because to take it would be less time in gospel ministry. They're like, no, no, I'm happy here. I get paid enough. I don't need the extra responsibility because they want to do whatever it takes for people to come to know Jesus. How will you use the idea of a house or investments? Will you be happy to say, look, I don't know what will happen in retirement. Now, I'm not suggesting you don't save. I think saving is important. But imagine saving for gospel ministry or people coming to know Jesus. Or in your retirement, going, you know what? (laughs) Rather than just sitting back and be comfortable, I'm going to move to some other town where there's a new church and it's hard work and there's no one else my age and I'm going to work alongside that church so that people might see who Jesus is. People are like, why are you doing that? Because I'm convinced Jesus died for you. And I love you to see him. I remember early on... uh, I met. About, I was about 16 years old. I met with a pastor of our church, um, with a group of other three other guys, and we met weekly and kind of just read the Bible together and talked through stuff that mattered in life. It was really helpful for us. Um, I remember him telling us the story of uh, a couple that he knew that were both doctors, both on really big incomes, and they were both Christians. And they had decided that with their incomes, they didn't need the amount of money they were getting as doctors. So they decided to live off kind of the average income for a Sydney suburban kind of house that they could get by fine and use the rest for gospel purposes so people could come to know Jesus. And the people around them were like, man, why don't you have a yacht and a tennis court like we do? That's what the kind of league they were in was. But they would say, no, because we think there are more important things in life 
than just the yacht and the tennis court. We think Jesus is important and we want to use our funds so that people might see him. Uh, do you want to see who Jesus is? Why don't we get together and read the Bible? I think it's just really helpful for me to go, yeah, that's right. That's what matters in life. It's not money, not, not my pleasures, but people spending an eternity with Jesus. There are a whole heap of different areas where our rights come up. People do all sorts of things to worship their children. <laughs> they must have the best education, must they? What if we say to our kids, actually, no, we're not going to go to the private school where you're going to get the best education ever. We'll go to the public school and you get a good education, but we can use our funds to see a church start up, to see people on MTS, a, a traineeship, start through ministry, and then let them partner with you and saying, this is what life's about. It's going to do them far better in the rest of their life than having the best education from the private school you can get to. And I want to say, it's not just cheaper is better either. Sometimes it's to make a decision to live in a more expensive part of town because there's a church there that needs help. Imagine if we started thinking through the, where we lived, not, not normally like we do, where's the job I can get the most money? Great. Where can I live closest to the job I can get the most money so it's the best lifestyle possible? Great. Now where's a church that I can find what's somewhere nearby that? Imagine if we went, there's a great need over here for a church uh, to, to just start it up or a church to be reaching people and I could work with them. Cool. Where's a place I could live nearby to that? Okay, great. Now, where's a job I can get that could help me live in that place so that I can serve in that church? Imagine if we thought that way. Sometimes it'll be more, sometimes it'll be less. There's no formula. The question is, will you do whatever it takes, strategically, intentionally? Will you use your life to see as many as possible become Christians? Now, I'm going to ask you now to do something that's very un-Kiwi. Uh, I want to say it's very un-Australian as well. But here, Paul, I think, acts in a very un-Kiwi way. He says, I would rather die than lose the right to boast in what freedoms I've given up. Imagine I said to you right now, what I want you to do is to go away tonight, pray about it, write down on a piece of paper all the different freedoms you could give up. The things that you could actually sacrifice for the sake of the gospel so they wouldn't be stumbling blocks, so others could come to know Jesus. Imagine I asked you to go away, write them down, and then send them into church, and we stick them up on the screen with your name saying, this person has sacrificed this freedom so that others might come to know Jesus. It feels kind of wrong, doesn't it? You're like, there's no way I'd do that. But Paul does. Paul tells us three areas that he has rights. In fact, he's quite strong on it. And in Chapter 11, verse 1, in the same argument that he's in, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What did Christ do? Gave up it all, and he told us about it. What did Jesus do? So, what did Paul do? Gave up his rights. But it's true we're sinful. It's true that we are broken. So, what I'm going to ask us to do is not to kind of put our names to it, but I am going to ask us to do exactly what I just said. Uh, we've got a website. You'll see the link down the bottom. It's aucklandev.co.nz forward slash W-I-T, whatever it takes. And we'd love you to jump on there to prayerfully consider what freedoms you've given up and, and actually put things on there to share. Now, we'll share them. We'll send an email out about once a week uh, with stuff that comes through that's encouraging. The reason to do it is to encourage one another. Is to go, look at this. There are people who are carrying the cost so that others might know who Jesus is. It's not to say how great we are. But if we don't do this, we're missing out on the encouragement. Our culture is forcing us to not share the news of really, the ways we've been serving Jesus. So I want to challenge you today. Go away, pray about it, think about it. Think through carefully, what areas of your life can you deny your freedoms so that people might see the news of Jesus? Now, I'm not going to force you to do this. You don't have to do it to be a Christian. You're free, right? You're free to go either way. But I want to say that if we aren't doing this, we're actually missing out on something that Paul says he'd rather die than lose, the right to give up his rights. To enjoy the joy that Paul has, he's saying he's inviting you in to say, come, enjoy this great fruit of going, I don't need this stuff that are my rights. I'm partnering with God. I want us to all experience the joy that Paul shares here. It'd be great, but we don't have to. Now, if you're here tonight and you don't yet trust in Jesus, hopefully you've heard what Christians think about money and you've seen that it's not about the money. 
But I hope that even more than that, you can see that we care about people seeing the magnificence of Jesus. We deeply think that He is God, that He has died in your place, that He's offered us life and that all of us will come before God and have to give an account for the way that we have lived. We are so committed to that truth that we're willing to forego our freedoms, not because of anything special for us, but that we want to spend eternity with you. So if you're here tonight and, and you're hearing what the Bible says, please hear this. We don't care about your money. We don't care about anything that we're going to get. What we care about is you seeing who Jesus is. Looking at history. This matters. This is not indifferent. <laughs> he is sustaining your very heartbeat now. That's the claim of the Bible. We long for you to come and see this Jesus. And if you are a Christian, then I want to say, Paul's example here tells us to quit flirting with freedom. Stop going around going, I'm free to do this. This is my right. Stop mucking around for the sake of your own comfort and recognize the complete joy of foregoing your freedom so that others might see Jesus. That's what Paul does. That's what he invites us to do. Imagine a church that forewent their freedom so that others might be saved. I'm proud to be part of a church that already does that. Why don't we pray together that God would help us to keep doing that more and more and more. Let's pray. Father God, we are so, so, so thankful that you have made yourself known, that Jesus came and didn't remain silent, but that you have revealed yourself to us and that through people like Paul who forewent his freedom so that the truth of Jesus could be known, we can hear that truth today. Father, we want to thank you for the many rights and freedoms that you've given us. And we pray that today we would see the profound truth that true freedom is found in being able to give up those rights. Lord, show us where we can give up our rights so that others might see the hope of the gospel. Prompt us in the areas that we need to think through. Help us when we go away to, to think through what areas am I holding back? What areas am I standing on my rights that could possibly, if I forgave them, if I forwent them, would see more people come to know Jesus? Lord, we long that more and more people recognize you for who you are, not because of anything for us, but so that they might be saved. And we pray, Lord, that people that are here tonight that don't yet know you would see you for who you are and your son for who he is. I would see you are the king of the universe, that you have died for us, that Jesus has paid the price for us. And so we pray that we would go away from tonight, not thinking about money or rights, but just being so captured by who Jesus is, that we run to him for forgiveness, for life as our king. We pray this in Jesus' great name.